Good morning, everyone. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Peter Rosner, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bethany. And we're continuing in a series called The B-Sides, a series of stories that perhaps you haven't heard in a while or ever before. And today, I want to begin with a simple question. Do you wish you could hear the voice of God more clearly in your life? I want to say that one more time. Do you wish you could hear the voice of God more clearly in your life? Because if we can be honest in church, I certainly do. I wish I was more in tune with the voice of God like some in our midst who have these amazing stories about God telling them to do this or that or the other. Like, go to Home Depot, stand in aisle six next to the wingnuts, and then just wait. And then like 20 minutes later, they deliver a baby, lead the father to Jesus, and dedicate the baby all there in front of the wingnuts. Now, obviously, I'm using hyperbole here to make a point. But I do want a greater measure of awareness of God's leading and speaking in my life. And so today, we're going to continue in our series, The B-Sides, with a story in 1 Samuel 3. The story of Samuel, this story of Samuel is uh, where he hears the voice of God for the first time. Now he would grow up to be a prophet, a judge, and a priest. But this is the first time that he hears the voice of God. And if you aren't familiar with the story, here's some of the context. Samuel was born in a period of great moral and spiritual crisis. Israelite society had become ethically pluralistic and everyone was doing whatever felt right in their own eyes or their own opinion. An official religious leadership was corrupt beyond a hope. The nation had no access to a reforming prophetic message. And during this time, Eli was the high priest of Shiloh and his two sons were also priests there, but they were scoundrels. They were taking the Lord's portion of the offerings made by Israelites by force if it wasn't willingly handed over. And they were sleeping with the young woman who assisted at the tabernacle. And while Eli does scold his sons in the scripture for their promiscuity, he seems to ignore the fact that his sons were taking extra meat and the best portions of what was being offered to God for themselves. But if you jump ahead to chapter 4, the text gives us a clue about why this was. When we read about Eli's death, we see it was a result of falling backward off a rock he was sitting on. And because he was very old, it says, and very overweight, we're told that the fall killed him. And you see, this description of Eli being very overweight was a way to reveal that he most likely benefited greatly from his son's abuse of power and priestly responsibility by taking extra portions of food that belonged to God. And so Eli's family is all corrupt and abusing their power. And this is where the story of Samuel begins. We read in the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel that a woman named Hannah was unable to conceive a child. And while they were at the tabernacle where Eli and his sons ministered, she made this plea to God to give her a child. And if he would, she would return that, God, that child back to God um, as dedication. And we then read that God heard Hannah's plea and opened her womb and she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. So in due time, she returned Samuel to the house of the Lord under uh, Eli's supervision. And it is here in the beginning of chapter three that we're going to pick up the rest of our story. And so if you have your Bibles or you have a, a phone with you, open up to 1 Samuel chapter three and we're going to begin reading in verse number one. 
Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. And then the text says this. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. So we're in a story today, not only about hearing the voice of God, but hearing the voice of God during a time when hearing the voice of God was difficult, uncommon, and even unlikely. And while the context of this story, as we'll see, is very different from our own, we can relate to this part, can't we? We live in a time that is difficult to hear God, to discern his movements, or to rest in his presence. Perhaps this is partly due to the fact that there is so much to distract us. The noise, the yelling, the competing voices, the perspectives, the anger, the anxiety, and the fear. And perhaps part of the reason amongst Christians that we're better at judging and throwing stones these days than listening to and paying attention to the voice of God is because we have forgotten how to. And perhaps, if we're honest, we're afraid that if we do listen, we will only hear silence. And I believe part of the problem for us anyways, in our Western uh, context, why it's so difficult to hear the voice of God is that we live in a time that has been deemed a secular age. Now, Pastor Andrew has talked about this reality of living in a secular age a number of times. And this term secular age can be tied to a philosophical construct that a seminal thinker and Christian philosopher named Charles Taylor has written about extensively and that others have engaged with and then built upon his work. And I feel like I want to help this concept sink in a little further for us today because it's helpful for us as Christians to recognize the world we live in has changed. The water we swim in is more difficult to perceive the supernatural to hear God's voice, to sense his presence, because if we can't see, touch, or smell it, we struggle to believe it's true. So to help this sink in for us a little further, I'm going to ask you to do something. I know you're sitting at home in your living room on your couches. I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say, we live in a secular age. We live in a secular age. In the West, we're living in a secular age. Now to qualify, this is different than what might be called the secularity thesis. That was a popular view a few decades ago. It was a belief that ultimately religion or faith would be rooted out entirely as science and reason progressed, which if you look around is obviously not the case. To live in a secular age is not reducible to a godless age or a religious age. Our world is filled with spirituality and a particular longing for something more. We live in a world where doubters doubt their own doubt, which is what Taylor calls the fragilization of belief. And that's this idea that whether you're a Christian or you practice some other faith or you claim to have no faith at all, wherever you find yourself, there's so many competing voices and understandings and ideas that it makes us all question at some level if what we believe is really true. And another component of what Taylor calls the secular age is this idea of the imminent frame. This is the new term that I want to introduce today and is a layer beneath this larger idea of the secular age. The imminent frame. James K.A. Smith says this in a lecture as he's defining some of Charles Taylor's work. Smith says this, 
One of the features of living in a late modern secular age is that we now all live functionally and practically without realizing it, without thinking about it. And we inhabit a kind of space that is framed by an imminent frame. We're in, a, in effect, we have disenchanted the world. We have naturalized our immersion in reality. So we have lopped off the significance of transcendence and we have lopped off the significance of e eternity. And then another scholar named Andrew Root says this, again, um, after looking and engaging with Charles Taylor's work. He says, we have arrived in the secular age not because people no longer see it as necessary to go to church and are willing to mark none on a survey, but rather because the very idea that there could be a personal God that orders and acts in the cosmos has become unbelievable or at least contested. Now, Smith believes the greatest driver of this imminent frame or the disenchantment of the world is consumerism or in his own words, Walmart. It's the belief that happiness and fulfillment and meaning can be found in stuff. Building up our own earthly uh, kingdoms, before this time period, it would have been impossible to imagine a meaningful life, a fulfilled life, without being tuned into the transcendence and eternity that was all around us. But now we can imagine a life or have a vision of a good life that has no reference to God whatsoever. But as Christians, if we pay attention, we might recognize that amidst the fragilization of faith and doubters doubting and the noise and the endless marketing ads promising us a fulfilled good life apart by, um, from God, if we stop and pay attention, perhaps God is still knocking and asking to be invited in. So I bring this all up. Because this is the world we live in. It's more difficult to believe in God, to be sure about God. And even if we say we believe and are certain to have this open posture to his work in our lives is difficult. And if you don't believe me, I just want you to reflect for a moment on your own prayer life. What's the quality and the quantity of it? Because if we say we believe in this personal God who loves us and is active and is moving and wants to speak to us, and yet, our prayer life does not reflect that. I think it speaks some truth to us that we should pay attention to. It is difficult to recognize God in this naturalized world that we live in. So instead of seeking to be relationally connected to Christ and open to His Spirit's leading, we have theological debates and judge one another and draw boundaries in the sand because without an active, loving presence calling us and directing our lives as individuals and as a community, all we have left is right or wrong, in or out. But despite this, I believe God wants to offer us today a renewed hope in the reality that God is still God and is calling us into a living and active relationship with Him. To help us pick up on that faint but present voice calling us beyond our imminent frame, or what we can touch, see, and feel. So let's return to our story for today and pick up where we left off. Because I believe this story about Samuel will reveal to us not only some spiritual principles to help us ha have a posture that is more receptive to God's movement in our life and the world during a time when it's difficult to hear the voice of God and perhaps is even uncommon through the life and story of Samuel, 
but also this text will reveal to us some of the dissonances in our lives that cause us to be unable to receive God's word and presence through Eli and his sons. And so uh, I invite you to turn back to your Bibles or app as we dive in again to 1 Samuel 3, uh, and we'll begin right where we, we left off and then keep wading through the text. So 1 Samuel 3, uh, again, we're going to start with verse 1 and then keep moving. The text says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. I just want to pause here for a moment before we move on and make a few comments. The first is it's possible to literally be raised in the church and sleep on its floors and not know the voice of God. You can have a religious upbringing, you can have religious responsibilities and be a respected member in a congregation and still not know God. This reminds me of something that Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, you can do the right things and know the right things and say the right things and still miss the plot that what Jesus cares about is us knowing him, is having a relationship with him. And so we pick up the text again in verse 6. It says, Then the Lord called out again, Samuel, again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. So Samuel did not yet know the Lord because uh, he had never heard, uh, never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? And then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. I think it's interesting here to note that the author gives Samuel a bit of an out for not realizing it was God speaking to him. As if to contrast with Eli, the paid professional holy man, who should have caught this sooner, and not only that, should have been taking his own advice sooner. And this point here has caused me to stop and reflect on the choices of the, and life of Eli and his sons were living. And what it can reveal to us about missing or muting the voice of God in our own lives. I think like many of us, they got caught up in building their own earthly kingdoms here and whatever felt right. Their stories became all about them and at best God was just a means to fulfill their own selfish desires and ambitions. They don't actually want to hear the voice of God because they like what they have going on already. 
which made me think about my own life, ministry, work, and ambitions and ask, who's at the center of my story? Who's at the center of my story? Is it me or is it Jesus? I invite you to do the same thing right now. When you think about your ambitions, your motives, and the vision for your future, who takes center stage in your narrative? Do you hope and pray for Jesus to be glorified through your life? Or if you're honest, really honest, does your life revolve around your own glory? Because what I've realized is that I can have ambitions to pursue developing various ministries or kingdom-building initiatives, but if I pay attention to the narrative I'm forming in my mind, sometimes I realize that I am at the center of the narrative. Yes, it's for Jesus, but I get the glory on behalf of Jesus. It reminds me of some of my favorite words from John the Baptist during a time when his ministry was uh, shrinking and Jesus' ministry was growing. And John's disciples became very concerned about this and they brought this to John's attention. And John says this to them, He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So when you think about your life story, what you spend your time and energy and focus on, can you honestly say it's about Jesus being seen, reflected and heard? Or is it primarily about you being seen, standing out, being different, being appreciated, being important, being powerful, having freedom to do what you want when you want to do it? Because what Jesus has been revealing to me lately is this. It is a difficult lifelong journey to transfer the pursuit of glory from our head to the head of Christ in our minds and our hearts. It is a difficult, lifelong journey to transfer the pursuit of glory from my head to the head of Christ in my mind and in my heart. But if we want to hear the voice of God more clearly in our life, we have to realize that voice is calling us to participate in God's kingdom narrative and not our own. So what are my takeaways for hearing Christ more fully so far? First is that we have to intentionally seek to know God and be present to God. And we have to ask God to help us live for His glory and not our own. So let's keep reading now. We're going to pick up in verse 10. The text continues. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. The line I want to touch on here is probably one of the most well-known verses in the Old Testament, even if you didn't know where it came from. And that's Samuel's reply to God, Speak, your servant is listening. I think we can see three things that are crucial to hear the voice of God in that simple sentence. The first is that Samuel makes space for God 
and he invites him to speak. Samuel invites God to speak. The second thing is that Samuel uses the term servant, evoking a posture of humility and a willingness to do what he hears God say to him. And third, the articulation that Samuel is going to listen means setting aside enough time to actually receive what God has to say. Because oftentimes I think we're good at the asking part of prayer, but not so good at sitting in the presence of God and waiting for him to minister to us through his still, small voice. And so the text continues in verse 15. It says, Samuel stayed in bed until morning. Then he got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli um, what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything. And may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold back anything. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. I just have a couple comments I want to make here. And the first is that while I know I was joking before about wanting to deliver a baby in uh, aisle six of Home Depot or whatever, this text is a reminder that if we, we want to hear from God, really hear from God, which I believe the spirit in our lives yearns for us to enjoy and participate in, also means being willing to obey what we hear even when it's difficult. It means we need to be willing to obey what we hear, even when it's difficult. And the second thing I want to note here is that Samuel had to learn to listen and hear before he could speak and minister for God. That Samuel had to learn to listen and to hear before he could speak and minister for God which I think is a reminder for all of us who seek to minister for God here in the church or, or anywhere, whether it's as a home church leader or a short-term missions leader or a CR leader, a landing leader, a Stephen minister, a celebration place leader, a BYN leader, a kids ministry leader, a worship leader, a cafe volunteer or a greeter, whatever capacity you are using to serve God, if we aren't relying on Jesus to speak to us, guide us, form us, and shape us so that we can be a participant in what he is doing in and through us, I think we're missing the plot. You see, authentic ministry cannot be done apart from listening to, hearing, and knowing Jesus. Because it is not us, but him working through us who brings healing and restoration and redemption. We can't do the one without the other. So what's my main point and challenge? My main point is simply this, God still speaks. The question is, are we willing to listen? God is still speaking. The question is, are we willing to listen? And my challenge is this, is to invite God to speak to you this week and then create enough space and time around that moment to actually listen to what he might have for you. So with that said, I want to conclude our time by practicing listening to the voice of God, to invite God's presence to minister to you. 
Because we can talk all day long about a secular age and the necessity of praying and listening and that God is still active and present and wants to speak to you. But unless we as the church take this seriously enough to make space for it in our gatherings here and in our home churches, then we'll never experience that which we long for. Whether we realize it or not, which is hearing God, being present to God and following God in more focused and profound ways. And so to do this, we're going to um, do a prayer practice called the examine. And as we come into this exercise, I invite you to remember that the world does not revolve around us. God was not created to serve our needs. Instead, we were created for the glory of God. And if we truly embrace the idea that we were created for the glory of God, we will begin to let go of our preferences for health over sickness Riches over poverty. Honor over dishonor. A long life over a short life. Just because we like something doesn't mean it's from God. He may be active in intensely unpleasant experiences. And so I invite you in this moment to make yourself comfortable. Perhaps close your eyes and open your hands to receive from God. And I will lead you through this prayer experience. Let's begin. The Bible talks about inviting God to search our souls and remembering that he is always with us. Psalm 25, four to five. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Let me be your truth and teach me. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Psalm 26, 2-3 Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. For I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. So I invite you now to ask God to search you, your mind and your heart. And I invite you to pay attention to what God is revealing to you or bringing to the surface for you as you sit with him. I now invite you to ask God to help you review the past week of your life. Allow your mind to wander through this period of time. Pay attention to your feelings, thoughts, memories. What are you most and least grateful for during this time?
When did you feel a sense of love, peace, joy, life, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? When did you feel exhausted, dead, drained, angry, mean? What specific events, thoughts, or experiences draw your attention? What specific parts of this time repel you? Now I ask you, when did you notice God during this time? And when did God feel absent? As you think about your answers to the questions, notice what this says about your future. What is Jesus calling you away from in this moment? And what is Jesus drawing you towards? Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that we've had to come before you. May this be a a refresh for some of us, a restart to, to seek to hear your voice more actively in our lives. Help prompt us to just make time to hear from you throughout our week so that we can respond to you more faithfully. And I ask that you would offer us a greater measure of your grace, your peace, your love, your joy, and your provision. Amen and amen. So to close our time, uh, I just want to offer us some words by St. Patrick. He says, Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, 
Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. And so with that, Lord, may we be a people willing to make space to hear you, to know you, and to follow you, so that those we encounter would recognize your presence in and through us moment by moment and day by day. Grace and peace, everyone.